my husband was such a good man, is, is such a good man. Every night he does the dishes. The second he comes home, he's taking out the garbage or doing yard work, lifting the heavy things I can't. Everyone in the neighborhood borrows peck. It's true. Women with husbands of their own, men who just don't have peck's abilities. There's always a knock on our door for a jump start on cold mornings. When anyone needs a ride or help shoveling the sidewalk, look out and their peck is, without a coat, pitching in. I know I'm lucky. The man works from dawn to dusk and the overtime he does every year. My poor sister, she sits every Christmas when I come to dinner with a new stole or diamonds or with the tickets to Bermuda. I know he has troubles and we don't talk about them. I wonder sometimes what happened to him during the war. The men who fought World War II didn't have rap sessions to talk about their feelings. Men in his generation were expected to be quiet about it and get on with their lives. And sometimes I can feel him just fighting the trouble, whatever is burrowed deeper than the scar tissue and we don't talk about it. I know he's having a bad spell because he comes looking for me in the house, just hangs around me until it passes, and I keep my banter light. I discuss a new recipe or sales or gossip. Because I think domesticity can be a balm for men when they're lost. We sit in the house and listen to the piece of the clock ticking in his well-ordered living room until it passes. The theater, the theater. Sing it out, Louise! Theater, theater. To be or not to be. Theater, theater. Somebody was like, did, did Danny Elfman write your theme song? And I'm yeah. like, no, Ryan Thomas Johnson didn't. He's better. No. RTJ? RTJ. Yes. RTJ, yeah. One and only. The one and only. We're really proud of that theme song. It's um, it's a little long, but like in the best way. You yeah. know what I mean? Yes. Like for a podcast, normally you would want like something kind of just like quick and like, dun, 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 podcast. But we're like... No, let's no. get into it. Let's get into the no, the, and it's got great references. Energy. Yeah, my favorite podcast song is like a minute long. In fact, sometimes I listen to it twice whenever it starts. Wow. Yeah, I like how it's got Bailey's voice in it, but like very like Devo, like very eighties music Ooh. delivery of like it's theater. Actually, theater. It's RTJ's voice. It's not my yeah, voice. It's, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, Excellent. Ryan's doing. We're Ryan does famous all Jay of Bailey Bertram impersonator. Yeah, he he's, matches Ryan your tone. He's doing <laughs> a, a, a the an Stella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, welcome the theater, theater, the theater podcast for theater people, made by three theater nerds from the LA theater scene. Mm-hmm. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm CJ Merriman, and I'm Scott Leggett. And we're each members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company, and each week we get together to talk about plays and playwrights, and we discuss, debate, and disseminate all over them. And this is our first episode of our mini-series on the works of the amazing 
Paula Vogel, How Paula I Learned Vogel. to Podcast. God, what a great title. I know. We have also a very special guest today who Super special. has yes. already spoken on mic, which we love. She's an actress, a dear friend of the pod, and a phenomenal playwright in her own right, Natalie mm. Nicole Dressel. Everyone, how are you, Nat? Yeah. Oh, and so good. It's so great to be here. Oh, it's uh, I. You guys are the cool kids, and if I was listening to the your podcast <laughs> while I was still living in Michigan, I would be filled with such jealousy that I didn't get to come and play with you. Uh, so well, glad I know you. Here you are. We're glad to have you. <laughs> glad to be here. Uh, it's so good to have you. It's so Natalie. Good what you. um, you know, we had you on here because uh, one actual obviously you're a dear friend we wanted you on here anyway but there's a big reason why we actually wanted to have you on this particular mini series and mm-hmm. yes it's you're an a intervention in disguise is this is one? an intervention we're not going to post this natalie um, <laughs> natalie we wanted to talk to you about via podcast <laughs> natalie we wanted to talk to you about um your writing and how uh you are spending so much time on it and getting so, so profoundly good that you're not <laughs> being good enough friends. Your writing us. has affected my life in the following ways. Yes. <laughs> Here's my list. Um, no, we love you so much, but we also know that you have some pretty incredible context. Now, we're connoisseurs of context on this podcast, and we love to know, you know what your history with this playwright is. Now, we'll all give that after you because i think it's worth starting with you and your relationship to this playwright so start from the beginning how were you introduced to her in as a as a writer reader and then how were you introduced to her okay go ahead to, to be to be honest, when I was first introduced to the, I mean, how I learned to drive was the first of the plays that I had come across because yeah. it was being done at a local community college where I was living. Gotcha. Um, and I I ended up sort of like not knowing how I felt about that play. Mm-hmm. I had no context come going in, um, and I feel like they, there was a judgment placed on Peck so early <laughs> that it was hard to for the nuance to happen. Um, but, uh, so that was for the longest time, the only sort of contact I had with her. Uh, and then sort of when, when I came out and transitioned and then kind of in the same breath, ended up going to grad school, uh, that led me to, to get into a whole lot more, um, you know, theater that I hadn't really gotten to explore before. Uh, and Paula Vogels was definitely one of them. Um, and then uh, I was also uh, an employee at Center Theater Group uh, doing, a, you know, a knowing outbound sales calls to, you know, theater patrons trying to sell them more theater. Uh, and Paula Vogel was doing her play Indecent at, uh, at our theater. And she actually did a master class that I won a raffle uh, among the employees to be included in. What? Uh, cool. yeah. That's <laughs> so brilliantly random. And so, oh man, uh, But it was like, it's crazy because like a couple weeks before I was at my playwrights residency at grad school and one of my teachers, uh, Molly Rice, had had Paula Vogel as a teacher. Wow. Uh, they had all saw the reading of my play for like the final and me and my my that professor were like um i kind of got a i would love to show paula vogel this play or at least get in contact with her and she was like yeah yeah knowing you and knowing her i definitely think you two should meet she's just very busy there's probably no way she'll get back to you and then like three weeks later i was sitting in front of her wow that's amazing (laughs) wow Uh, yeah i'm super super jealous because (laughs) 
Um, I have, uh, I've been just watching videos on YouTube and, and some of her lectures and stuff like that. She, she is, and I, I mean this in the best possible way, my lesbian crush. Like, <laughs> like if, if I would have met her in undergrad, I would have fallen in, in love with her. Uh, I just think she's magical. We need but... to add her to our top girl script with Carol Churchill and Sarah Kane. Oh, right. Natalie, yeah. we're trying to we're, Baker. We're going to do sort of a top girls like the Carol Churchill play. But oh, my God. If I had a top right. girls ask first act in heaven, Paula Vogel would be it. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, we, we decided to be her Churchill Baker. Sarah um, Kane. And Sarah Kane. And that's what we're oh, so yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe like Afro Bane. That first act don't match that second act. I didn't get to that episode yet, but I'm sure y'all covered it. <laughs> yeah, we get Top there. Top Girls Revisited. <laughs> <laughs> Pop Girls Redux. Yeah, Redux. we're gonna we're gonna put that up. Yeah, it's gonna be, and we're gonna throw Afro Bane in there, who wrote the uh, Rover, just for some, you know, because it's time. Yes, is there is that sort of all your context with her? Have you has there been a relationship past um, that well, workshop? At, yeah, actually, I was going to. Um, bring that up a little bit closer, but uh, she and I email from time to time. And I actually have a little bit of a correspondence that I might want to share with y'all because like, wow. I'd honestly taken that class with her a couple weeks before I ended up seeing Indecent. So huh. I, I went into that like fresh with this interaction with her right. um, and came out of that play like very terrified to be very frank. Y'all, you mm. we're going to get into that. Yeah. Um, but when, when we're talking about Indecent, I would love a chance to like, read what I wrote to Paula and Absolutely. read what she yeah. wrote back to me. Oh, yeah. Love Incredible. It. I would love that. Yeah, that would right. be amazing. Um, <sighs> CJ, what is your sort of background with uh, Vogel? Had you read her before? Absolutely nothing. I, um, <laughs> I, in fact, I had thought like, oh, well, we actually did one of her plays when I was at school. It was my freshman year. And I looked it up and it's, she totally did not write the play. So um, <laughs> okay. the closest I had ever come was I remember my freshman year, there was a scene study class that two of the gals got, they were given a scene from Desdemona. And I, I just, I don't know why it took me this long to get to Paula Vogel because she is just so totally right up my alley. Like I loved each and every one of these plays and I am looking forward to reading the rest of her stuff now. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I've got Minola twins on lock after this. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I, I found that one on Scribd and I was, I was going to dive into it and I just didn't find the time, but you're right. I think I, I think I got to read it. I think I need to like be a completist with her a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it feels like getting to know a person. Yeah. That's what's so awesome about each of her. Because, like, um, honestly, I mean, she talked a little bit about Baltimore Waltz uh, when we were in. I mean, I, she said so many, like, amazing golden gems that I'll sure. probably remember mm -hmm. when we're talking. Uh, but she said that she had seen a production of Baltimore Waltz where they played the ending at the beginning instead of playing like that wasn't what was going to happen until it's revealed at the end. Oh. And, she, and she goes, they missed it. They missed the entire point of it. Yeah. It's about oh, the yeah. denial of that reality. It is not about the foreshadowing of it. Huh. Right. Oh, yeah. And they almost sort of took it as like, we don't want to do a twist ending. rather, And it's like, it's not really about the twist They changed ending. the whole thing with sadness when it's yeah. really supposed to be like not their that. final, you know, moments to, you know, be together and not right. think about yeah right we will definitely get deeper into that one um scott do you have a do you have a context with this more than just um you know wanting to be her lover in college <laughs> <laughs> i do um 
So when <laughs> when she popped up on our list as we were creating this first season of our podcast, yeah. I was like, I don't know her very well. I knew how I learned to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd seen a production of it, and then I had read it, and then I saw another production of it, and then I'd seen a production of Baltimore Waltz. So those mm-hmm. were really the only two, and I was like, mm, she left me a little tepid. Mm. Um, there, uh, I should say I l- love her plays, and I love her work, and I love her ideas, but there are times that, uh, and we'll get more into it as we get into the individual ones. So I was like, I, I didn't know a lot about her, so I, I had started sort of doing some research bef- before what I normally would have done in preparation for uh, an episode. Like, I'd started watching some more interviews with her uh, on YouTube, and um watched uh, as much footage as I could from Indecent, which, oh my God, I've never seen a full production of it. And I went and I listened to the music and oof. Um, yeah. And so as I got to, and so I I like, I felt like I knew her, like she has that energy. She has that sure. energy where even in an interview on a bad PBS, you know, right. uh, thing, she just comes off with this energy, which I, I love. And as we, dive uh, deeper into her biography and, and into our deep dives on this episode. I've got, uh, I've got a lot of things to say and none of them are bad. Like it's not, I, you know, like you read Carol Churchill and, and I compare her um, primarily because the, there's just, it's so vast. Like there's no, there's no general sort of framework that, Paula Vogel fits in. She writes to the idea. And so she's done all kinds of styles and all kinds of, you know, and so there are Carol Churchill plays that I just don't like that, that I just don't resonate with, but there's always something in all of her work that resonates with me. The thing that struck me in these four plays is they are all so completely different. Mm hmm. Yeah, but they all feel like they're very her. Well, you know, I, I noticed a little bit of a, having never read all of her work in a row like this, it always seems like it's a personal story where there are monologues that intersperse action. But apart from that, there's always like a third element that we're sort of focusing on through the whole play that sort of carries you through. Mm-hmm. So it's like the driving lesson uh, video thing that's happening in How I Learned to Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like the music and the like the outer world of the troupe in mm-hmm. Indecent. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, in like uh, in Baltimore, there's the the uh, like slideshow. Like, right, exactly. Yeah, or the, the language the, tapes. The yeah, language right. things. Language like, tapes, like, yeah. It's the language that bothers me and it's yeah. the whole learning about traveling as yeah. a metaphor. So it's like, I always... I dig that as a writer because it's like, here's the thing the character's focusing on as a way to get us into the action. So it feels deeper than just, here is what this one thing's about. Mm. Right. And I think what, what solidifies uh, her for me and, and, and uh, is exactly what you're saying, Natalie, and, and everyone, is that she has kind of done what a lot of the playwrights we've discussed have done, which is almost created her own genre where you can be like, this is a Vogel play. Well yeah. put. Right? It's well recognizable. Put. Well put. It yeah. is. Um, my 
context with her is I when I was at Hogwarts working in the script library, I read How I Learned to Drive just on a whim. It was just one that I picked up and went, what a terrible title for a play. I'll read it. <laughs> it is the you know worst I mean? titled one, I have to well, say. I it think is when you worst. when you don't know any context, you're like, this sure. is what? Okay. And I read it in one sitting, in one shift, and put it down, kind of realized how much time had gone by in there and... No one had interrupted me. It was like a perfect reading of it, you know. It it really sat with me um, for many reasons, and we'll talk about that later. But I avoided her other plays kind of for that reason. I was like, oh, that hit that kind of kicked me in the bad place, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just I was just like, I don't I don't know if I want to get into another one of those. But then somebody suggested Baltimore Waltz um, years later, and I was like, sure. And I read it, and I was like, ooh, love this. And then sort of revisited how I learned to drive. But then I saw Indecent at the Amundsen. Mm. Um, Natalie was so nice to actually uh, provide me with the ticket to that while she was working. Uh, or it was was it at Amundsen? It was at Amundsen, right? Yeah, I think it was at the big theater. It I was not it was. at the taper. Yeah, it was at the Amundsen, which right, is which weird. I, it, it should it is be weird. a taper play. I that mm. is yes, that is definitely my hot take. Is that I think I would have loved that play so much more in an intimate setting. Um, but we'll get to that. In the black but box. I saw it, and I still it still you know totally resonated with me. And um, Sophia, Natalie's girlfriend, texted me and said, "Hey, uh, there's this thing. Natalie can't make it. She's already." met Paula so like whatever (laughs) Um, would you want to go to hear her talk at um, UCLA campus I said sure we like rushed there we ran across campus trying to find the building we finally found it we got in there like right on time like (gasps) like huffing and puffing we're just like completely red faced and sweating we're all just like we can't believe we just ran across UCLA campus and Paula Vogel and like 10 other people are there wow we we thought it was going to be this huge like you know auditorium and it was just this little library and a few people so we stuck out uh with our panting uh but, <laughs> but it was absolutely incredible um she answered some incredible questions and really just looked everyone right in the eye to speak to <sighs> cool. them and it was so beautiful and the one thing i really left with she answered one of the questions um somebody was sort of asking like oh i don't I don't know how I feel about being a writer because I feel like everything's been done and I feel like every time I want to do something, it's a little too crazy for the stage or somebody says, this should be a movie or this should be a book or, you know, whatever. And she goes, hmm, okay. I give you permission to say screw it to all of that and to make anything on stage. And she, it was a better quote than that. I totally butchered it. But the Uh way that it like sat with me, all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, Bailey, you've wanted to be a writer your whole life. Why have you not been trying to do it? Hmm. It was that moment for me. And it, she gave me so much permission as an artist to just go and like not doubt that what I want to do isn't legitimate, you know, that's my context with her, but it, you know, I now I'm just really interested in what she's going to do next, um, and oh, yeah. I think we need to be per, 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 putting her stuff up more and putting it up on Broadway and and just doing and getting it out there because she is uh, a force in the theater world and hasn't besides the you know the few awards that she's been given she hasn't really been given her due especially um, in New York um, so I'm just excited to uh, to get into that but yeah Scott. Well, you I, have a, a nice little corner, the Scottopedia. I do. I, wanna hear, I do. I want to hear about this woman. I wanted to jump off real quick on, on something you said um, because I read a quote about her doing her research for 
indecent. No, that's not entirely true. She was talking about the first time that she had discovered the God of Vengeance play mm-hmm. that a professor told her and that she went down to the library and she could found this like 1912 copy of it and she very carefully had to turn it and how she was so struck by the fact that a 24-year-old man in 1906 had written such a compelling love story between two women that it felt so real to her and so organic and so absolutely pure and that it shattered her notions about gender and gender voices. And I found that to be so freeing because I've been working on a long-term project and and I've like several times gone, "Mm, I'm a dude, I shouldn't be writing this story. And it was just this sort of freeing moment. And, And you hear that a lot from from her students. I'm sure Natalie's going to drop a lot of quotes on us about that, but she's, <laughs> she's a little magical about that kind of stuff. But it's like everything you're saying is totally like, she gives you the permission to be an artist in, and that means having the ability to make mistakes. Like art can't happen unless you have that permission. Yeah. And that's actually, I, she probably talked about it when you saw her Bailey, but she's really into this thing that she's doing called, bake-offs the bake-offs right are so cool yeah I, uh, this idea is so amazing uh, with 48 hour bake-offs she gives everybody like the same six things she'll be like your play has to include this 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 and this you only get 48 hours to work on it that 48 hours can start whenever you have the time and then when we all meet again we'll just present this work and in our case we all emailed it to her uh but i honestly think that that might be a fun thing for like y'all to try or I, I, if, if not me then y'all sometimes like give yourselves all those prompts and then see what comes out of it see how similar and dissimilar the work is Ooh, maybe oh may, yeah maybe you'll have to you'll you'll have to be the the leader on that natalie and give us all oh i'd love things. to absolutely yeah i'm natalie's I'm bake-offs, natalie's bake-offs. <laughs> oh, if i can spread some paula vogel magic i right, would be right. more than happy yes yes <laughs> the great british natalie nicole dressel bake-off show yes <laughs> yes oh i found it to be crisp <laughs> and uh oh, it's it does not have a soggy bottom yeah i was about to say no soggy bottom no soggy bottom yes we love that show. But I uh, like so, the soggy bottom. That's my no. thing. I like Scott it. likes Scott soggy bottom? I like it. Are you a soggy bottom? I want to yuck your soggy bottom boy. I'm a soggy yeah. bottom boy. You're a man of constant sorry. <laughs> um, so Scott, go ahead and give us this uh the context Let's of the playwright. The Let's do some there's, uh, a, there's historical not, facts. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's not a uh, an insane amount on her. I mean, she's no. still a fairly young human being and yeah. uh but she was born November 16th in 1951. Her birthday's Coming up, let's give it a big mm-hmm. shout out. Birthday, as a matter of fact, no, it doesn't work out that way. But her birthday will happen between parts one and parts two of this. No, her this birthday happens the day we drop this. We drop it on Monday morning. Oh, happy okay. birthday, Paula! I mean, <laughs> technically, technically, we post Sunday night, but most people begin listening Monday morning, so we just say Monday morning. Fair. But okay. y'all, if you're in your car listening to this, roll down the window and yell, "Happy birthday, Paula happy Vogel!" Birthday. <laughs> Um, she was born in Washington, yeah. D.C. and uh, and Maryland and, and 
that all reoccurs throughout her work. Uh, her father was Donald Stephen Vogel. He was an advertising executive. And her mother, Phyllis Rita uh, Bremerman, uh, was a secretary for the United States Postal Service. Ooh. Her father was Jewish and her mother was Roman Catholic. Um, cool. And we can see those elements uh, throughout her work as well. Uh, she had two brothers, uh, Mark and uh, Carl. Uh, Carl, of course, uh, appears in all of her plays a little bit. At least she winks and nods and uh, gives a little shout out to Carl. And of course, she's an Easter egg heavy writer. Uh, that's very for sure. much mm-hmm. so. Very much so. Um, and Carl died uh, of AIDS in 1988. And uh, the family created a whole center in Washington D.C. for. Uh, for HIV patients, and it was, um, I don't have Hmm. a lot of detail on it, but it was, I think it's still around. Um, Let's see, uh, she married Brown University professor and author uh, Anne Fausta Sterling uh, in Turo, Massachusetts in September of 2004. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is a longtime teacher. Uh, Vogel spent the bulk of her academic career from 1984 to 2008 at Brown University, where she Mm -hmm. taught creative writing and oversaw the playwriting program. Uh, she helped found the Brown Trinity Rep Consortium. Uh, I had a friend of mine who worked there a few years ago and had a blast. It's a cool name. It's a, I think consortium is one. Yeah. Consortium. <laughs> Actually, I think my professor, Molly Brown, studied with her. At, not Molly Rice at Brown. Sorry. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> now, she's not that unsinkable. <laughs> Molly Rice. <laughs> Damn. Uh, but yeah, like it's, isn't it, like even if I hadn't met her, like, I'm essentially being taught by Paula Vogel when I'm being taught by her student. Cause like, right. Like it's all just being passed down from the greats to us. Right. We'll, you know, we actually next season are covering two people that Paula Vogel is a direct like mentor Uh of. Um, Lynn Nottage and, um, Lynn Nottage and Sarah rule. Oh, it, to hear like Paula Vogel like casually mention like her friend Susan Laurie Parks, that is mind blowing to me. We have uh, Susan Laurie so Parks on the on uh, next season as well. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, we're awesome. very excited. Awesome. Yeah, we to talk about lines that are just blank. No lines. No lines. No lines. Yeah. yeah, just lines that aren't lines. Yeah, which got, you know I, I can hear those from home. An yeah. audience member mm-hmm. might say, "I got things." <laughs> oh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. <laughs> Um, from 2008 to 2012, Vogel, Vogel was the Eugene O'Neill Professor of Playwriting and Department Chair at the Yale School of Drama, as well as Playwright-in-Residence at Yale Rep. Um, she is a huge MMA fan, uh, <laughs> martial arts fan, and uh, she's also lie. really into noodling, which is the art of catching fish with your bare hands. <laughs> Neither of those things are true. Uh, that noodling sounds like her, though. I was, was going to say, yeah, the second like... one tracks. The first one, I don't know. If Maddie Matheson can do it. I'm just tired of being tricked into shit. Well, you know. CJ, well, it's just gullible on your ceiling. Uh, <laughs> I'm not looking at my ceiling. I'm not falling for it again. She did, uh, <laughs> um, So I, I have to uh, take a little bit of exception, Bailey. Uh, when you said that, that she just she hadn't received a a, a, a lot of recognition, uh, I, I agree. Didn't say that. That I br- said besides her awards, I don't feel like she's uh, been given oh, the my like, mistake. Love I'm like, that she deserves on 
Broadway and like and yes, that I produced in the agree. way that I think she should be. Yeah, uh, go yeah. ahead, Scott. Oh, not too much more. Just you know, the just the little stuff like the Pulitzer Prize. You know, the American yeah, we, Academy of Arts and Letters Award. Uh, let's see what else. You just there's a ton of the them. Drama Desk, OB. the OB, American Theater Hall of Fame, OB yeah. Award twice. She got a Lifetime Achievement Award for it. Um, I'm too this old, is, This was this was awesome. And Deke though. got a Tony, a couple Tonys, direction and uh, 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 lighting. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, it did. Yeah. Um, she hasn't gotten a Tony, and that's no, no, no. That's effed. Um, that is effed. That's what I'm saying, dude. That's, that's fact. Well, we're, we're on the same page then, Bailey. I didn't yeah. mean to. Come on. Are you trying to fight fisticuffs right now? No, I don't want fight, you. I want to fight, over fight. All, I, all I want to do is hug. Why are you being provocative, CJ? <laughs> just in the middle, just like I'm trying to get it's Because the I feel going. like it. I feel like it. <laughs> um, oh, I learned to drive my friends apart. Yes. <laughs> wow. Um, and just the last thing, I just think this is fantastic. Yeah. In 2016, Vogel successfully completed and defended her doctoral thesis at Cornell University more than 40 years after she began that. She oh, began wow. in 41 wow. years. So she finally and is officially, as of 2016, Dr. Paula Vogel. So well, amen. Dick yes. It. Stick in university. No, she just uh, she just took a break to go into Pulitzer Prize. Like it's <laughs> baffling. Times too. I, I, can I say I'm so glad that y'all pronounce it Pulitzer the correct way. I, you have no idea how much I hear Pulitzer from people. Pulitzer, oh, really? right? Yeah, Pulitzer. Like you're pulling it toward yourself. Yeah, yeah. like the like the old newspaper guy. Yeah, like the like the the. <laughs> it's literally it's literally named after. The antagonist yeah. from Newsies, right? That's what he's from. <laughs> yes, he's only from Newsies. No, he's not. And nothing he was else. A real... No, and they named the... an entire award after him for journalism <laughs> yeah. and writing. Yeah, yeah. The bad guy the, that Robert Duvall plays in the movie Newsies. Is I that what like we're talking? We're about? done with this. Is this okay. so I feel important. like we're wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're so... being very extra, extra right now, Bailey. So I had ah! organized Newsies or Shrek. We can talk about Shrek the Musical. You guys want to talk what? about Shrek the Musical? Oh, Janine no. Tesori, right? Janine Tesori. I still oh. can't believe that. Oh my gosh, and the, the guy from Passing Strange plays Donkey. Sorry, Paula Vogel, um, but we're gonna keep <laughs> talking about Shrek the Musical. Now, um, <laughs> so, by David Lindsay Abair, which is fucking insane, uh, who wrote Rabbit Hole. No, okay, so what is the Exit first- pursued by David Lindsay Abair, am I right? Mm. Um, yeah, I had, um, we hadn't talked about this, but I'd kind of organized things chronologically, so sure. let's- uh, we've got four deep dives. Let's talk about the stuff that leads into the first deep deep dive. Yeah. Um. So she starts. Um. She starts. Um. Cranking out plays. Uh. In '74. Uh. The first one is called Swan Song of Sir Henry. Um. Anybody have any info on that one? Well, I mean, I do have someone I can ask. Um, Email her for us real yeah, quick. What's, no, I was gonna what's your say, play if, about? If any questions come up, y'all, if you, if you have a question, I'll, I'll be happy to send it to her. No, yeah, can you just have her send synopses of all the plays we didn't read? Thanks. Yeah, I just, I'll have her yeah. copy and paste what's on Wikipedia for her. Yeah, Could perfect, you have thanks. her email me yeah. a PDF of Swan <laughs> Song of Sir Henry yeah. from 1974? Um, she follows that up in 77 with a play called Meg. Meg. 1979, Apple Brown Betty, which sounds delicious. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a nice pie drink. Now. Uh, now I'm pie. Um, 1981 is um, Bertha in Blue. 
Next up, also in 1981, though, is The Oldest Profession, which I think is the one that starts getting her, like, some more attention. Have you guys read that at all? No. That, is that about prostitution? It, it is. I mean, and it's a reoccurring theme. But, yeah, I'm going to – I literally have written down, like, you know, I think I'm going to spend some time over Thanksgiving uh, week going over some of these old older plays of hers because yeah. I'm really interested in her evolution. And I'd, at, at some point, she needs to join us and Annie Baker for a beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk to her about, uh, oh, she'd be great to have a beer with. Yeah. Oh, I hope she drinks. <laughs> um, and next up in 1984 is uh, And Baby Makes Seven. No, those were all of her early ones. Then in 1992, so there's a pretty big gap there uh, between uh, And Baby Makes Seven. Um, she comes out with The Baltimore Waltz, which I think really put her um, on the map. It um, uh, debuted in 1992, and it's, of course, yeah. based on her relationship, and it's an homage to... Um, her brother. Her brother mm. and their relationship and their friendship. And um, she references one of my favorite all-time movies in it, The Third Man. And That's right. Orson Welles. Orson Welles, uh, Orson Welles acting, not directing. Right, right, but, right. I just but, always think of him in that. Yeah, yeah and, and maybe my favorite Joseph Cotton performance, and that says a lot. But yeah, uh, uh, the Baltimore Waltz comes out in, and uh, it had had a workshop at the uh, Perseverance Theater in 1990, uh, and then it was staged for the first time in Houston's Alley Theater, which I've heard nothing but great things around. I wonder if hmm. it, 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 that was in '92. Um, yeah, I've heard and, a lot of good things about them too. I, my, I have a cousin that lives in Houston who I believe has worked there, but I, it's just nothing but positive things. Um, I think they do pretty uh, progressive work. Oh, right great. on. For, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for a Houston audience. Yeah. Uh, Bailey, write this down for me, brother. Um, <laughs> take a note for me. Take a note. Um, but we, uh, at some point we should do uh, in the future, let's do an episode on theater companies. Ooh. Absolutely. Around, like yeah, around the world. That. Like it'd be awesome to do like stuff. Agreed. Wolf and RSC and all that shit. But anyway, sure. um, th- that Houston production transferred to New York. Um, it premiered off Broadway at the Circle Rep. Um, running from January 29th, 1992 to March 1992. Yep. It was directed by Ann Bogart. No big deal. No it big had, deal. <laughs> it, had, it had Cherry Jones, Richard Thompson, and Joe, uh, Joe Mantello in it um, in the, as the third man. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about this play. I, I, cause I, um, there was something that I noticed in how I learned to drive and in, in this one. And that is, I, I'm in it. I'm listening now. I saw bad production of it, and I, I since have okay. read it twice. And it, it was it was a two hour production of it. It was slow Whoa. as molasses, and I'm like, the, and the actors weren't horrible, but it was just the direction was off. And I'm like, this this is a ninety minute play. There's no there's no reason for this to be two hours at all. Right. Um. But what I noticed was that. I'm in it. It's not that I dislike it, but I'm not loving it, but I'm processing everything. Like I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it. And then boom, she lands that last scene, the break. And every, then everything works. Everything comes well, let's together. Talk about it. So, so CJ, yeah. what is your, do you got a one sentence uh, synopsis of this one? Oh no, I didn't get those. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to find well, one. Essentially Keep this going. one is, is just like, uh, it's, 
it's like vignettes, sort of, right? Mm-hmm. Is sort of how it's written. Um, I would argue it's sort of farcical in na- in nature at moments, or absurd even uh, at times. Oh because, yeah, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert: it is sort of um, a dream, uh, or even a, a daydream, or a, a a way of coping. Maybe I don't know. What yeah, would you call I, it? I, I a have a good summary of it. Charts the tale of a school teacher who takes a lust-driven tour of Europe with her brother, a newly laid-off librarian from San Francisco, uh, after she contracts a mysterious fatal disease that rampage that's rampaging through the country's elementary schools, picking off the innocent. That's right, and it's called acquired toilet disease. Yes, a- ATD. <laughs> Uh, which she gets from a bathroom at the elementary school where she teaches. And so they're going on this road trip. Uh, what is y- y'all's... Uh, and they, they, the the third man references are very on the nose. She's not hiding that. That is a... Um, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, the fact that he's got gloves on the entire time. Right. But, but, but it doesn't mean the third man thing. It's for another sort of rug out from under you moment. Right. I guess um, it was one of their favorite movies that they had watched together she and her right. brother um, you had brought up earlier uh natalie's sort of you know the uh, elements of her plays that are all sort of similar and there's that third element right with this one it's um like we talked about the language tapes but also the the slideshow um is really interesting where they start clicking through a slideshow and she's saying like oh it's the german countryside and Mm. europe look how beautiful it is but she's scrolling through pictures of the hospital that they're in Mm -hmm. yeah and And just pictures of baltimore like the view from the hospital exactly Mm -hmm. and then at one point she's like and check out this beautiful castle and it's just um the palace at disneyland Mm -hmm. and things like that and you're just like oh and you start to get a sense of things aren't all necessarily correct um here and so th- that's sort of the journey that we're on i listened to this one it was um chicago of the air hosted by studs turk oh. Um, <laughs> oh how was that working for you <laughs> it was i listened to the intro and then immediately texted scott and said if you listen to anything just listen to the minute-long intro to baltimore waltz <laughs> Amazing. Um, he did great. I, I have great. a graphic novel that is a graphic novel of Studs Terkel's working. So it makes a comic <laughs> book out of all of his interviews. Uh, it just what a name. Oh, what a character. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I I'm, I wasn't familiar with him before uh, that. Yeah. So he was long time. Um, ger- what a character. Journalist and writer. Friend of the working class. Um, the other <laughs> yeah. thing that was fun about this uh, reading was the person that directed it was Mary Zimmerman. Um, oh, cool. The gal that wrote and directed Metamorphosis, right. which is a theater experience I'm obsessed with. But I thought that was neat. I I just, I loved it. I, I don't know. I think I enjoy her work so much because I'm reading so many women in it that I'm like, I want to play that. Oh, my God. I want to play mm-hmm. that. And I don't always feel that way about female characters. Usually I want to play the male characters in plays. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but I just, man, I just love this. The, the, I know the part that particularly stuck out to me that I wanted to give a try to was the stages of grief. And you see her go through them on stage. And I that was like my favorite bit of writing in it. But I just, this, this show had me laughing out mm-hmm. loud. It had me crying. Sure. Like, I just loved it. And it was, it, it was like 70 minutes long. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this one clips. I like the I like the length of this one. The, I, I read it on paper, and honestly, I was she, she starts it with his letter, her brother's letter, that she sent him mm-hmm. about what type right. of funeral arrangements he wants for himself. Right. 
And mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I was like already bawling before I got into mm. the play with that. Like it right. just, what a real live person. What, what, a, what a person that I can just picture as real, who's no longer here, who feels like me and is gone now. And this is what they thought about their death hypothetically, that's now a real thing. And it's just was like very overwhelming. I, I love everything that she's doing with it. I love all the references and it's a play that I'm, I'm in and paying attention to. And then, but I'm not, it, I didn't connect with it until the end. It's not till the bubble, the that brilliant bubble is burst that I, I felt it. I don't know what that was, you know, or why that was. Like I laughed, and you know, even in the rather lengthy production I saw of it, maybe I expected something different. Kind of knowing walking in what it was about, or at least what the inspiration had been. Um, what turned me on the most though, are all the ideas in the, that go throughout. It's the, it's the third man references, which is, you know, it's got its own layers of, of psychological complexity and, uh, identity and what that all means. I love that, that it turned it on its head in terms of, uh, the AIDS crisis and put the, put that energy on her. Can we but talk then, about that decision a minute? Because yeah, I, go for yeah. it. I, I, I yeah. honestly like, um, I think normally what I would do is like read this play and then look up what everyone's saying about it and then decide of those opinions, which I agree most with. And I didn't uh -huh. do that this time. I just kind of wanted to, mm -hmm. to grapple with it myself. Um, and sort of like without having read it, but knowing where it was supposed to go, I, I found it hard to understand exactly what was happening a lot of the time. Mm. Like, like it, it, what is this supposed to represent exactly? Why is this decision being made? And, and I think for me, it came down to like, this is maybe the story that they were telling each other. And now she's just telling herself where, because maybe she thinks he's better at taking care of her than she is at taking care of him, that it would mm. be better for her to be the one who's sick so that he can like mm. show her around Europe that he knows very well and take care of her and, and that be the only way they can make it make sense? Or was it for another reason that hit you guys differently? I don't, it wasn't from a place of guilt, but a place of, um, how do you, how do you take care of that? And Cause and it wasn't like, I don't think it could be guilt with, as um, funny as I think she intends this toilet seat disease to be, right? Which, and which, which has its roots in unfunniness because I know they were saying similar things about how AIDS was spread at the time. Right. So Absolutely. it's definitely right. I see the take on that. It's right. just like, mm -hmm. is is it because she doesn't want to have to watch him suffer again in this play, and she's like, no, I'll take that on myself. So in this world, he can literally just enjoy himself. I. I think I think that she she's trying to celebrate him as much as possible and hold on to the uh intimacy of their friendship and their love and their 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 uh brotherly sisterly um you know clearly he was he was so important to her in so many ways and it's so about I think, her denial of it, right? I mean, the whole play it is, by the end, you're like, oh, this is about her coming to grips with the truth of it. And, you know, like you said, Siege, when she's stepping through the stages of grief, right? You know, mm -hmm. ending on hope, 
or whatever. But then even so, then she ends on hope, and then there's still the rest of the play of her still pretending that this is all. So it's just she's really living in the denial, and I I, I wonder. You know, I, I couldn't find a lot of her actually speaking on this play uh, too much about it, but it makes me wonder if she maybe really denied it through all of it and maybe even um, diminished it a little bit um, mm. and feels some regret there. Uh, maybe Do you think not. that's why she's even in this fantasy that she creates for herself still, right. still out, like, fucking every night? Like, even in right. her fantasy, she can't let herself off the hook. right. I wrote down in my notes that it was a, a, a fantasy of denial. I can't imagine, I've, I can't put myself in, in exactly similar shoes in any way. It builds and her use of absurdism and how it- Yeah, or just wacky. even wackiness. Like yeah. it's not always, mm-hmm. it's not always absurd. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it gets there sometimes, but like when you really break it down, once you know the twist, it's less absurd once you know. Right. It's like you can kind of go back through and trace it all and track it all and be like, oh, no, this is what she's going through in this moment. It's and the slideshow is a really great um, indicator of that. Right. Where it when it happens, you're like, wait, what? And then at the end Mm -hmm. with the bomb drop, you're like, oh, okay. There's an interesting piece of this, though, is is that I think it gets often lumped into the quote unquote AIDS play um, Mm -hmm. genre. And I would argue it's not that. Um, and and I don't ever want to diminish any anything that uses AIDS as a theme or or as an analog or anything like that. Like I think there are some really amazing um, plays that tackle this, but I don't think you should be. I don't even think we can even put this in the same category necessarily. Yes, AIDS is involved, but it's so not the point. Yeah, I think it's honoring her brother. Right. I, I I think I also like, I mean, you kind of see the characters do it throughout the play too. And it, I almost wonder if it's her way of being like, well, could have done that differently. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, I'm yeah. trying to think of a play where AIDS is the point, to be fair, though. Like, is Angel, is, mm. is the AIDS the point of Angels in America? Like, it's definitely more of an AIDS play than this one, but I mean, sure, but is I would, it the point? Again, I wouldn't call Angels in America an AIDS play either. You know, I right, would call yeah. like, maybe like, the normal as is, or, as is was one of those plays. Yeah, or or even specifically one I'm thinking of, and we we just talked about this in our artist spotlight with Teddy Trice. Um, the Anatomy of Grey is a play that specifically, even though it is using um, the analog of this disease that they're getting from water, um, it is specifically an AIDS play. Like it's it's 100 about mm. that. It's in in. Um, but it's all through metaphor. But I would argue that it is about America's handling of the AIDS crisis. Mm, so yeah. it's like there's a lot of those things that I think. But you're but you're right, Natalie. Like I think people tend to lump a lot of things just because they mention AIDS into AIDS play realm. I would even say people go, "Ah, oh, Rent, that's an AIDS musical," and it's like, "Well, no." What? what? Well, I mean, definitely AIDS. South Park people definitely had that opinion, right? That's true. <laughs> Team America definitely goes all the way with making sure that you understand that they think that Rent is about AIDS and. Um, no, I think well, so bad. I, and I think that so much of um, you know, especially those you know, as the disease hit, you know, in the early to mid '80s, so many of those plays were 
were purely reactionary. You could just feel mm. these writers just trying to just wrap their head around the macro and the micro. Yeah. And I think what this does in such a lovely way is just keeps it micro. It's like, right. here's this one, here's, here's one person and their closest friend in the world. And, and this is this magical little, um, Ooh, I just had, please, a, I just in. had an inkling yeah. thinking about what Natalie was asking. The fact that they switched it, that it was the sister that was going through this thing. That, ATD was that yes. what it was? Yeah, our toilet. It was so silly and absurd, and the scenes with the doctors were so silly and absurd. The play, it it definitely made it not an AIDS play because the disease. They she made the disease so silly and weird and funny in a weird way. So it was more about yeah their relationship and them trying to cope with a really hard thing in their lives, you and know? I got the sense that they both thought this toilet seat disease thing was very funny. Like, don't don't right. you feel like yes. that was oh, their yeah. inside baseball sense of humor? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right, right. Absolutely, 100%. Sometimes you gotta laugh at it or well, you'll just like, do nothing but In that letter <laughs> that he wrote at the top of the play that she shared, like, he said one of the things you can do with funeral flowers is, like, make sure the open cast it has my ass showing and then just stick the flowers right in my butthole. I think he says it nicer than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, buttholes are mouths, too. But, I, I just yeah, wanted to let you know. Yes, there we go. Do know that that's true. So you could stick those flowers in the mouth or yeah. the butthole, same thing. Scott, that was obviously the point you were heading toward. You got that the was study sheet. <laughs> oh, so sorry. Scott, please. No, I just, I, I, you know, I think that any time that somebody looks deep in themselves and processes pain and loss and can do it using really great theatricality. There's yeah. nothing about this that's in any way it's not a novel it's not a movie it's not a tv show it is a play and it is theatrical and she uses it like she uses it she's just grabbing pieces from things like and creates vogel vogelism i'm gonna say yeah. vogelism um <laughs> to tell the story and and it's great, you know. It. Uh, the other thing I wanted to kind of bring up is this, and then we should move on because we've we've deep dove. Um, what What do you guys think um, about this stuffed rabbit business? Talk to me about that. Well, I can tell you what I read about sure. it because I was kind of curious about it. Um, it I just. It's, it's kind of like a totem, something that comforts you that you keep around personally, like like a whoopee when you're a little kid. It right, was that's... his replacement for her when she was no longer allowed to sleep in his bed with him. Right. Okay. And I kind of love this thing where you don't really realize that till the end, right? That's the totem next to his bed. Yeah. But mm -hmm. they keep doing these references, like these scenes. These are the those absurd moments where like somebody will have a stuffed uh, rabbit and the other person will like stroke it and then they'll both walk away really quickly. <laughs> You're like, yeah, like yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, things like that. I love that kind of shit. Um, and then you get the little callback at the end and it's not, it's, you know, it's not too kitschy. It's not too like, oh yeah, the rabbit, oh. You know, it's not like the end of Big Fish right. or something, you know, where we're all like, oh yeah, that guy. You know, it's not yeah. like that, but it's, um, it's Rosebud. Yeah, Rosebud. <laughs> or the end of Endgame. But anyway, so we, we talk about we talk about Endgame a lot on this. I try to compare um, <laughs> these universes to the MCU. It rarely tracks. 
rarely tracks. <laughs> Sometimes it does, though. I feel like we should hop off of Baltimore Watts because we have so many more to cover. Um, yeah. Is there is there any final thoughts on this? And then we should get to the next one. Loved, Loved it. it. Loved it. Loved Liked it. it a lot. <laughs> All right. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, All right. Uh, what's, what's next, Scotty? Um, next up is Desdemona, which is another one of our deep dives. Ooh, yes. Okay, so Desdemona. So uh, this was the one that I sort of threw out there as like a... I hadn't read it before, and I know a lot of people do scenes from it. Mm-hmm. That's the big mm-hmm. one, right? I, I've seen it in scene classes, but I've never seen it. And I'd really actually like to see it someday. CJ, put it up. Go. Yeah. A vignette of scenes depicting what was going on offstage during Othello. I just so want to be Amelia and do that Cockney mm. accent the whole show. Like, mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm an odd duck in that my favorite Mel Brooks movie is Dracula Dead and Loving It. And it's because <laughs> I love over-the-top British accents so much. And it sure. just jumped off the page in this. And then when I thought, like, she couldn't get any cuter... Then uh, the the even lower class woman whose name I'm I'm missing right now. Beyond yeah, Beyond she comes Beyond. in and like blows it out of the water with almost unreadable Cockney. <laughs> yeah, for the love of Shaw, yeah. y'all. Yeah, and written in the in the way so that you. It, yeah, yeah, I. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine, but you know I get Why? it. I get it. Because I have I have a hard time reading it gotcha. and being like, wait, what the fuck does that mean? That's all. have you ever read Train Spotting or A Clockwork Orange, CJ? I listened to A Clockwork Whoa, Orange. Whoa, intense. Okay, because yeah. those are both yeah. written in a in the dialect, right? So they're yeah. really interesting. Right, it takes and you a while to to actually understand what they're saying, and I think this is similar. I will say the dude that read Clockwork Orange, and it was just one guy that did all of it. I understood what he was just such a good reader. I knew what he was talking right. about, even with all that slang. Right. Anyway. I sat in a good um, have, of milk What are y'all's feelings <laughs> on Othello itself? Like, you know, the source material for this. Uh, I, I saw this um, in Stratford, Canada. Um, oh. In the Alley Theater, which was like a really like, uh, what's the form of theater where it's on both sides? It's like a big alley. Is it just called Alleyway Theater? Okay. Um, But they did it that way where like the action was constantly happening on both sides of the stage. And there was like lots of running and hiding and ducking and screaming behind things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a very good production. And I have also heard tell about a production where it was an all black cast except for Othello played by Patrick Stewart. Oh, and that oh. he studied what serial killers did the moments after they killed their spouse or whoever they killed. So like they took 15 to 20 minutes of silence in the script after the murder moment for him to make the bed nice with her in it after the murder uh, was over. Whoa. Uh, and so those are those are where I'm coming in with Othello. Um, whether or not it's OK to do that race swap thing. Uh, you know that's that's a that's a completely different argument, but I mean, in uh, general with it. Shakespeare, I think it's it, you know because of the time that they were right, you know, with the more kind of uh, stuff, it's it's almost like you almost need to. It's kind of weird to do Othello fully, like making the black man the other kind of. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Othello you is feel like less is more. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I shouldn't Sorry, be the one to pun, speak to yeah. this. No, I'm with you. I is M O O R E. Um I uh, I 
you know, I probably shouldn't be the one to decide whether or not that can be done or should be done, you know, but I think with Shakespeare, and I, we'll get into this because we're, we're doing a Shakespeare episode um, as our season finale, uh, I, I just, I think at this point, if we just need to be doing new things with it, and sometimes you, you, you need to mess with race relations, and you mm-hmm. need to mess with gender relations, and, and things like this, and uh, Shakespeare Youth Fest, we do that all the time. We always gender bend, we gender swap, we... we um, mess with how they're playing it we mess with you know we we did a, a production of henry four last year where our uh hal said no i want to play it as a non-binary person we we're like great that's yeah, a really cool. interesting take and she did it and it was awesome you know what right. i mean so it's yeah. in our in our uh, uh uh king henry decided to play it as a woman she was like no this is queen henry like we're going for that we're like great you know what awesome. I mean? So it's like we... I studied Hamlet so so much before I transitioned that the thing I want to do is a like a gender swap Hamlet where I can play oh, yeah. female Fuck. Hamlet. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. And I think there's just like so many interesting things you can do with it. And I think if you have the right director taking it on and 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 reviving it and making it a thing and conceptualizing it, then yeah, fucking, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, rip it apart. I think absolutely. I mean, I think that that's why it's endured. You know, yeah. you you know, you hit 1960, and uh, you know, all those British directors start going. Eh, I don't need a fucking thing on stage. Like that yeah. was ballsy to do Hamlet with a chair, like and right. and that kind of thing. And and so we're we're just I think at a at a period now where we're talking about race and we're talking about gender and uh, in in open ways and in ways that we haven't before and 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 Shakespeare's right for it. I think yeah. that there are a few problematic plays and there's a few problematic for sure. moments in plays like just very a different one. century. Very different <laughs> Name century. <one>. Well, <laughs> measure for measure. I mean, measure for fucking measure. How about measure that? For, well, tame, taming of the shrew. Anytime there's a letter problem, <laughs> I'm always like, that wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't just fucking happen. I mean, just like think about how powerful Lady M's um, unsex me here speech would be if we were bringing like sort of like a, a non-binary person to a role like that. Sure. Oh yeah. Like, uh, like it just like the levels of it just get deeper. Cause like that may be the things they were feeling back then, but just without the verbiage or the social roles that they could even have as an option. Yeah. 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 You know, and the fact that you can set most, most of them anywhere. Yeah. I think really, I mean, measure for measures, very problematic. Taming of the shrew, mm-hmm. just like just but, just throw it away, just put it on the shelf. Merchant of no, Venice. No, but but all the ones that you're saying, we've done at Shakespeare Youth Fest, and we've taken and we've ripped it apart, and we've done things with it. We were doing measure for measure when COVID hit. We were going to open the next week, and we were taking this sort of stance that Angelo is sort of um trumpian in a way but more so that he's actually this like alternate version of trump who actually feels a lot of guilt for what he's doing and we went with it and it fucking worked i I was super into that production um and we did taming of the shrew where we set it on mars and it was all female and it was really interesting um just like things like that where like i think there's ways to do all of them i think you can because we we merchant of venice no speaking of patrick stewart i saw a merchant of venice where he played shylock where the uh the love pick this box if you are the one to love me was Mm -hmm. presented like a reality show and the whole thing took place in modern day las vegas yeah that's awesome Mm. and i think there's a way to you know it's this is a whole other conversation about Shylock specifically, um, but I think it's it, there's. A... It could also have to do with the production I True. saw of it too. I've only seen it once, and it was by a Shakespeare company. Mm. But 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're all, it's how you handle them, you know? I've seen ones where I was super offended, and then I've seen um, Comedy of Errors set in the Harlem Renaissance, and it was the most epic thing I've ever seen in my entire yeah, life. So, yeah, yeah. I have a very funny Two Gentlemen of Verona story that I can't wait. You're going to tell it on the <laughs> Shakes episode for sure. I can't wait. Um, let me say this, though. I, this is this uh, another one of those plays that could easily be put into the genre of, like, Plays that are about Shakespeare, like you know, like uh, maybe you should be done in rep with RNG. Yeah, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, <laughs> or like Fortinbras, or like I was trying to think of other ones that are you know more modern. Like let's take a Shakespeare character and flip it on its head, haha. Skullduggery. Yeah, I, I don't always love that <laughs> as a concept. I love RNG, um, but now and then, or even just anything where it's like let's take this character everyone knows from theater and make a new theater out of it. I'm sometimes a little weary of that. This worked for me. I like this. Yeah, a lot. I love a good retelling of a Shakespeare lady. Yeah. Like there's, I, and it's me. It's me who I want to play on stage. And one thing that pisses me off about most of Shakespeare's women is I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'd rather play the kings and the villains and yeah. shit. Yeah, you but should. This, I, Des, thank <laughs> you. Uh, Desdemona and Ophelia are the two women that ever since I started reading Shakespeare, I was like, ugh, I am not interested in these women at all and i love a retelling of a character like this that i normally don't give a shit about can i be the asshole in the room fine do it i i i I didn't i didn't i didn't love it i think i think it's i think i wanted more so i guess it's good in that sense i think the funny is really funny but i don't i feel like it's a little underwritten and I think it, it, you know this I, honestly feels like it maybe started as a Bake Off, like maybe, where, where yeah, they took I mean, um, influences from Othello and were like, "Let's see what we can do with these," and then that just kind of developed into this. And I mean, if Cherry Jones can take it and do something great with it, I'm sure no one would stop her. Sure, sure. Her. And I, and I'm I'm not hating on it. Like it's all of Vogel's ideas are amazing. I you know, I know plenty of actresses who would you would kill in the, you, you Natalie CJ and Natalie you guys would kill in this. Um, Do it, Natalie. Oh my God! Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> and, would you be and, Bianca or Amelia or Desmona? I mean, I think I'm probably too old. I, I think I would be closer to Amelia. CJ I mean, she literally really want to play an actual age Othello. Every time we talk about casting, and I want to punch you in the face. Yeah, yeah. stop it. I'm sorry. Who I just cares? I think be, who fucking cares? I think Bianca. I always think of Bianca, and I that's that's all. I'm just like, oh, Desdemona and Bianca are like you know 21. They're newly married. You types. can play 21. Like, also, she's a whore who probably smokes a lot of cigarettes. So what are you trying to say? <laughs> that I'm a whore that smokes too many cigarettes. Absolutely not. No, I was saying so. She probably looks a little older anyway. Oof. My goodness. Uh, yeah. My goodness. Um, I. But I also, w- you know, I will it. say the, the other thing that <laughs> I'll take it all day. I'm pro sex work, so pro oh, yes. legalize it. Pro legalize it. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, like, I because I, I don't want to be the asshole because I don't. I don't hate. I didn't hate it. I just was like, ah. Uh. But it was another one where, and it didn't quite hit. But where the final scene is the thing. Like, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. But I, and again, I'm. I was just reading it, so I, I have not seen a production. Of, Bailey, why don't you and I co-direct? No. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> Scott, like, um, did, didn't you see the fun games this that is a can happen with episode. Uh, power dynamics in this play? Like, this game is all about shifting power dynamic. It's And it's like sort of like a three-person chess game. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate it. I just felt like I wanted more, that I wanted it to be, you know what, I, I wanted it to be, be a two and a half hour play, I think. I wanted it to be RNG level. And it's not, you know, and I it's think not. And, it, it, and maybe it's, and maybe that's why you guys like it. I, I think that's I think that is yeah. why I like Are it. Are you calling okay. it's, it's like, like word, Here's word, a moment. Like, it's word. not overwritten. It's not too many yeah. things. It's not trying to do too much. It's like, here are some ideas. And like, I think the performers would fill out the world. Right. And I love RNG. Don't get me wrong. But let me say this. If you don't know Hamlet at all going in, which we all just assume everyone knows Hamlet, that's not true. So if you don't right. know Hamlet going in, it is the most pretentious masturbatory show of all time. And that's just mm -hmm. that's just from someone who like has oh, I, been in yeah, it I, a couple times and invited You're talking about Roses and Guns, that Slash's band? <laughs> that yes. one. Yeah, <laughs> Slash's band, yeah. No, roses I, and I, Guns I, are dead. I, saw, guns are I dead. saw a production of RNG in London and we got shushed for laughing at it. What? What? Like if they were, oh, they was no, like legitimately a hilarious comedy, and we were yeah. laughing, and they were like, "Shush! How dare you? This How is how dare you? <laughs> I, I will. and his genius are performing on stage." I, I also heard uh, the understudy for Jean Valjean at the Queen's Theater get booed by the crowd Ooh. when, when oh. that was announced, and then came out and did the most amazing Valjean I'd ever seen, sure. and like I got a standing it. ovation at the end, and it was amazing. <laughs> The, that's look at the pretension that surrounds theater, especially things like oh, yeah. Miz. There's this like pretension of like, that's not the person I came to see. I'm upset, and then of course it's brilliant. Anyway, um, no, we can I, I think talk that, about Miz again. Let's do that. <laughs> no, there, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna agree with you, Bailey, because RNG. Oh man, RNG can get real real pretentious and really no. overdone and 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 I'll say it again I love that show I love I it Claudius but, twice but I've I fucking seen, love that show I've seen horrible productions of it that are yeah, just I like community I will colleges say that, love to just do that on stage and make it four hours long and just like jerk off everywhere it's terrible we saw the guy who took I, over for be Tim Curry when we saw it oh <gasps> and he was very Tim Curry-ish it was it was <laughs> it was of a flavor of Curry that's that's for sure Invoking <laughs> a lot of our uh, our last episode, we've talked about uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown. We talked about Lay Miz. We talked about Tim Curry. These are all things that came up in our last miniseries. Oh my god! Oh, it's almost like <laughs> we're we friends and we sheet. have uh, interests that are similar or something. It's almost like that's the case. <laughs> um, also, if anybody doesn't know, uh, Lay Miserab is Pete Buttigieg. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> 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 there was a digression I was going to do real quick. When I uh, was uh, in undergrad, there was a guy named Don Guy. Don Guy. <laughs> a guy named Don Guy? Don Guy. And he was from Alabama. He is now an insanely, like, internationally successful lighting designer. Um, oh, but, cool. but But, like, I remember, like, we would be Not having discussions guy. about musicals. And, like, he would, he would just sit there for a second and he would kind of process. And he's like, you know what musical I like? The unsinkable Molly Brown. God damn, she got off that boat. And he sincerely loved it. Like it, he wasn't being you know, jerkish at all. He loved it. God damn, she got off that goddamn boat. Don Guy, the Latin guy from <laughs> Shoals, Alabama. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, so I feel like we've kind of tackled Desdemona. We've been, you know, we've talked about Shakespeare. We've talked about all the things. I think we should go ahead and end episode one of this mini series. How do y'all feel about that? Does anybody have a final thought on Desdemona? Um, uh, I like that she's been given some agency. Yes. Yes, that's what I was about to say. I was like, what I like about this and what we're going to talk about in part two in another play is uh, I do love the idea of. Um, these women coming together and having these moments, I, you know, and the idea that she sort of suggests that the the anger be directed at the men hmm. uh, is a okay with me. I um, <laughs> it it kind of reminded me of uh, Harlots on Hulu. Ooh, yeah, I love that show. Yeah, it's great. I'm a season yeah. behind, but I love it. Highly recommended, uh, listeners. Check out Harlots. I feel like it's not a very highly watched show. No. I've never heard someone else say they watch it. CJ, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't talked about oh, it. Oh, I'm obsessed with the music supervisor for it, too. The whole music oh. motif, motif for that show just blows my mind. Yeah, and some of the performances are next level. And the costumes. Oh, my God. It's the lady, costuming in that Lady show. Sybil from Downton Abbey. So um, I have to say that I won't watch it because CJ talks about it all the time. Um, <laughs> what? Ah, wow. Watch Harlots, y'all. Hey, part- Does any, do you guys have any, other, do you guys have any um, uh, spotlights, theater spotlights, anything you want to shout out, Natalie, uh, that'll happen in, or that's coming up? Yeah, right? uh, on um, November 19th, supposedly, Netflix is dropping a couple episodes of this show called Chicas, which is a Spanish language show uh, about transgender women and and yes. I do one of the English language dubs, like not not only awesome. for like a lot of random people, but for like one character in particular. Wow. Um, I also did a little bit of ADR work on a documentary coming out on Netflix um, called The Lady in the Dale, and that's going to be really good. It's a Duplass Brothers documentary series. So yes, cool. I've heard about this. Yeah. Uh, and I am also I, this probably won't be. I, I mean, on the eight. 18- which is this upcoming Wednesday, I am a part of Scripts Gone Wild are reading uh, the Terminator script. Oh, cool. Uh, so I'm, I'm working with them on that as well. So uh, I got a couple irons in the fire. Weird how busy I am in the quarantine when my career didn't have really a life before the quarantine and now I can't go anywhere and I'm being asked places. It's yeah. very interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, do y'all have anything else? You guys want to shout out anything? You got anything going on? No, not quite yet. CJ and I are doing a project that, uh, but it's, it's, it's a little ways away, but it's, it's later. That's later. <laughs> well then cool. Thank you guys for joining us for our episode. Uh, first, episode of How I Learned a Podcast, the works of Paula Vogel. We'll be back next week with our second and final episode of the miniseries, and we'll have Natalie for that one as well. So thank you very much to Pam Quinn for our uh, original song, which you'll hear in a second, and Ryan Thomas Johnson for our incredible theme song that we talked about earlier. Thank you to Annie Baker for (laughs) writing our script. Thanks, Annie. We'll grab a beer later. We'll invite uh, Paula Vogel. Follow us on all the things. We really appreciate uh, the Instagram follows. Uh, Our Instagram's been popping recently. We had like 300-something followers, and now we're at like 600-something in just in a few days. That's like Um, almost double. 
<laughs> Almost double. Yeah, and I think it's because of our artist spotlight. We we got uh, Teddy Trice on here, and he's uh, got a nice little following and, and people who it's really support him. So that was spotlight. we really appreci- appreciate y'all. And um, you know, uh, subscribing, rating, and reviewing is something that every podcast tells you to do, but it really does help, especially new podcasts that are trying to get started and gain followings. Help us out. Just throw a five star review on there, or throw a one star review on there if you just really hate us. At least it's a review. Um, it's, fair. <laughs> it's fair. One star is fair. But also don't. Also, that would be sad. Um, also give us five stars. <laughs> we appreciate y'all. Follow us on all the things. Uh, and as always, mouths and butts are the same thing. Now mouths and butts are the same same thing. I would rich. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Yes. Goodbye. You touched me when you should have been watching I gave in when I should have been cautious I mopped a mystic despite you Antagonistic thanks to you You kissed me when you should have been distant You said no but I was persistent I'm non-existent Sure.